You're listening to Your Best Life, powered by Mercy One. Join us as we have a fun conversation with certified experts and physicians about health topics for you and your family. It's Your Best Life, our one purpose. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening. Well, many more people are going to be eligible for that COVID-19 vaccine. So what a great time to bring back our infectious disease expert, Dr. Ravi Vamiri. Welcome this morning. Good morning. Thank you for inviting me. So the last time we had you on, um, the vac- the vaccine, the first two products, um, Pfizer and Moderna, were just becoming available um, to the public. And, and I believe you had just gotten your shot when we talked to you last. And obviously, a lot of things have happened between um, then and now. So today, we're going to just talk about what we've learned since that time. Uh, we've got some new providers in the market as far as uh, Johnson & Johnson. And I know I've seen... Um, AstraZeneca in the news a little bit. Um, we can talk about the new variants that we're starting to, to see in, in the different areas and, and some of the other things. So, um, Dr. Vimiri, let's talk first about vaccine with so many people available to, to now uh, find an appointment to get their shot. Uh, what can you tell us? Yeah, the uh, vaccination campaign has really uh, ramped up. Uh, as of this morning, the seven-day moving average of shots in arms per day throughout the country is at 2.83 million per day. And many people feel that if we can uh, stay above 2.5 million shots in arms per day, we should reach uh, perhaps 75 to 80% of the population by the end of July. So the quicker we can reach that uh, threshold, the better it is for all of us in terms of getting on the other side of this pandemic. It's also important to get as many shots in arms as quickly as possible because the more opportunity the virus has to replicate itself out in the community, the more chances that a so-called variant or mutant can arise that can be more problematic for us. And speaking of variants, the State Hygienic Lab uh, every week monitors for variants. And as of this morning, apparently, they've identified 89 individuals in the state of Iowa with the so-called UK variant, first isolated in the United Kingdom, which is both uh, more transmissible, and now people are saying possibly uh, more pathogenic. Uh, so that, that's kind of where we are with the vaccinations. Uh, Iowa specifically, apparently 30.8% of Iowans have received at least one shot, and a full 19.3% have uh, received uh, two shots. And we are apparently using at about 85% of our received doses. So, you know, there's still 15% kind of... Uh, sitting around, but that just goes to the difficulty of the logistics. Um, I have a question for you. With the new variants that are coming in, are the vaccines that are being given, are they effective against these, like the UK variant that you were talking about? Yeah, I think uh, both the messenger RNA vaccines, that is the Moderna and the Pfizer product, are both felt to be very effective against the variants as well. Now, uh, that, that is the specifically the UK variant. 
the South African variant, most people feel that the uh, Pfizer and Moderna are both uh, effective against the South African variant. And even if people do get breakthrough infection, it tends to be mild. So uh, the vaccines do prevent uh, serious illness. There's some question about the AstraZeneca vaccine in the South African variant. The story is still not fully written on that. Some people feel that it may not be as effective. And the Brazilian variant is um, a little bit more problematic in the sense that I, I don't think we have the full data yet. I think we'll be getting the data soon. But most people feel that uh, it may be effective against that as well. Having said that, as you alluded to, uh, Adam, the uh, Johnson & Johnson vaccine has been approved since we last spoke. So currently in the U.S., we have three approved vaccines. The beauty of the Johnson & Johnson product is it's a single shot. And it actually was tested when the variants were actively circulating. So even though the overall efficacy, just by first glance, sounds like maybe it's a little bit less than the other two products that were approved, Moderna and Pfizer. You have to remember that the Johnson & Johnson product was tested when the variants were actively circulating. So uh, the uh, efficacy is slightly less in the order of uh, maybe 85% or so compared to 95% for the other two. But had the other two been tested when the variants were circulating, they may also have had uh, little, been a little bit efficacious. Bottom line is, as an uh, individual out there wondering, you know, when and what vaccine to get, the best advice we can give people is whenever a vaccine is made available to you, no matter which one it is, get it. So don't be waiting around for this vaccine and that vaccine. When it's your turn to get the vaccine and one is available to you and an appointment is there, by all means, go get that vaccine. I'm glad that you said that. I was going to um, ask to to drill into that a little bit because there, I feel like there was this perception um, when Johnson & Johnson first became available that it was somehow perceived as inferior to the other ones that we've been talking about for the past few months, the Moderna and the Pfizer. And, and here's this new one to the market that um, everybody was kind of like, oh, I'd rather get the ones that we've been hearing about. But But any vaccine is a good vaccine. When it's your time, please get it. That's that's absolutely right. That's the advice that the CDC and all the public health experts are saying. Remember, we're in a race here. This is a race. So for example, as I mentioned earlier, across the US, about 23.1% of the population has received vaccine. And, you know, we need to get to at least 75%, preferably even up to 85% if possible, to really get a hold of this thing and get on the other side of it. And, and the quicker we can do that, the less chance we give, for example, as I mentioned, uh, the UK variant uh, is not very widespread in Iowa, but the longer we have susceptible people out there, the more chance it becomes established. So uh, it's, it's a race against time. So I'm glad the governor and the state government has opened it up for everyone starting April 5th. 
And so by all means, go to uh, whatever site you need to go to, depending upon what county you live in, and sign up to get your vaccine. Doctor, what do you have to say about the the naysayers out there that are are still leery about getting the vaccine? Um, I came across a gentleman the other day, uh, probably in his late 50s, early 60s, and he said he just wasn't sure about getting it because of the side effects. He's he's just very curious and still apprehensive. So what do you have to say about that? There is uh, this underlying vaccine hesitancy out there. And uh, some of it is just genuine uh, lack of understanding. Uh, uh, other uh, angle to the hesitancy is uh, imbibing a lot of misinformation that's out there especially in social media. All I can say is when you're dealing with issues of your health, uh, probably your social media feed isn't necessarily the best place uh, to make your decisions. So you need to go to the uh, recognized and reliable sites. Probably the best site is uh, cdc.gov or any uh, state uh, public health site. So, for example, in Iowa, the Iowa Department of Public Health site has this entire section on vaccines for the lay public. So, you should refer to that site. And then, uh, for example, where I, I am here in Polk County, since we're such a big county, the most populous county in the state, our county health department has a very good site. And I'm sure other county health departments have good sites as well where uh, commonly asked questions are answered. So the, the vaccines are safe, they're effective, they were tested very rigorously before they were rolled out. Now people wonder, you know, were they tested enough because they came out so quickly? The answer to that is they went through all the different phases of testing that typically any health product would go through. So-called phase one, phase two, phase three, they were just able to do them very quickly because you and I, the taxpayer, uh, spent billions of dollars funding the studies. Typically a company uh, who, uh, let's face it, they're there to make a profit, otherwise they wouldn't exist. They need to go through a very gradual stepwise fashion because you know, they can't risk all their money on something that may or may not work. But in the midst of a pandemic, our government stepped up and gave the companies your money and my money, our tax money, to uh, do this so-called Operation Warp Speed, where they were able to uh, do all of the rigorous testing because they had the funding. They didn't have to really risk their own money. And, and so that's why uh, all of these things were able to be developed so quickly. And I think we mentioned this last time also, uh, it's a good thing that uh, this happened to be a coronavirus that uh, initiated this pandemic because, as you, as listeners may recall, uh, this is like the third coronavirus that has recently become an issue of public health concern. Way back in 2002-2003, we had the original SARS, which uh, didn't necessarily become a pandemic because it was so much more deadlier kind of uh, aggressive public health efforts at that time kept it very limited. 
And then about 10 years later, we had the so-called MERS, which is still ongoing in the Arabian Peninsula. And it never really left the Arabian Peninsula all that much because it was not as aggressive or easily transmissible as the current SARS. So all that 20 years of experience with those two coronaviruses also allowed scientists to develop these vaccines very rapidly. So although it seems like it happened in an instant, I know there was a lot of uh, research, 20 years worth of it actually, that is behind some of these developments. And then the Johnson & Johnson product used a vaccine vehicle that they used very successfully in developing other vaccines, including the vaccine against Ebola, uses kind of the same technology that Johnson & Johnson used to develop its COVID-19 vaccine. So for the vaccine hesitant, uh, you know, we are in the midst of a pandemic. It is a bad virus. We've seen it firsthand what it can do to people. So do your part. Uh, when it's your chance to get the vaccine, please don't hesitate. Get it. It's safe. It's effective. It'll help save lives. So do you think that maybe, and I know you can't put a timeline on this, but what do you see happening with the current trends? Is it, is it going to start leveling out? Yeah, we are, uh, we're, we're a little bit anxious, those of us that uh, track these numbers. So for example, one number that we all like to follow is the av running seven-day average of new cases in the entire United States. So unfortunately, it's been staying above 50,000 for a long time. It's kind of at a plateau. We like to see that number fall below 10,000. So, you know, many of us feel that, uh, you know, people let their guard down a little and went about and did things like travel and states lifted various requirements. Uh, despite doing that, I think uh, even though they lifted the requirements, it's interesting, Iowa itself, including Iowa, still says that it's recommended that you wear a mask. So I guess, um, even though it's not mandated, we all still need to be very careful until enough people are vaccinated uh, and until community level of transmission is brought down, uh, we, we still need to do all the things that uh, we've been asked to do in the past. We still need to do those. The other metric that we look at is, for example, in Iowa, the new cases per 100,000 population, seven-day moving average, uh, is still 18.3. Uh, we're still in the so-called orange zone, meaning we do have unacceptably high levels of community spread. We like to see that in the yellow and ideally in the green zone. Yellow means one to nine cases per 100,000, seven-day moving average. Green means less than one. There's a a handful of counties in Iowa who have achieved yellow, but the populous counties uh, are still uh, mostly in the orange. At least the majority of Iowa is no longer in the red. For example, Polk County, we are at 23.8 for that metric. We were at 14, uh, which was our best, just about a month and a half ago or so, but we've slowly crept back up. So yeah, the long-winded answer to your question is, you know, we see light at the end of the tunnel, but um, we could still have a lot of uh, sickness 
and unfortunately death, unless we uh, keep up the pace of vaccination and the supply keeps up, the logistics are all worked out and, um, and, and we still need to practice all the public health measures. You know, April 5th is coming up here and uh, the, there's going to be a surge of people wanting to get it. And uh, we just want to uh, urge people to be patient. And uh, the, the logistics are very difficult, but people are working very hard to make sure you can get your shot. So if at first you don't succeed in getting registered, um, please register. Uh, you know, you can register at multiple sites, but if you do get an appointment, at a certain site, make sure you go back and cancel other sites that you've registered at so you don't hold up a slot for somebody else that might need one. So let's recap there a little bit, um, just because you're right, there are going to be a, a whole new large group of people that are going to be wanting this. And so I, I just really want to reiterate that once you do get your shot, it's not over for, for you. Um, you can't just stop doing all the things that we've been doing the last year. You still need to wear a mask. You still need to wash your hands. You still need to socially distance. Um, I wanted to ask you on that note, too, um, have there been any new studies or, or results of studies that show that the vaccination helps um, prevent transmission? Because I know vaccine protects me, but I don't know if that, that keeps me from bringing it home to my baby or something like that. Yeah. So there's been a slew of new studies that have come out just within the past week. And uh, they uh, show that uh, fully vaccinated people uh, especially 14 days after they've been considered fully vaccinated, the uh, chance of that individual actually being able to transmit an infection is slim to none. So that, that's good news. That's good news. They might, some uh, rare individual might still get infected, but even if they do, it's not a very serious infection. And more so, they are apparently not capable of transmitting as readily as someone who was not vaccinated. That's an important study that's recently come out. And then just within the past 48 hours, Pfizer said it's preliminary data on the 12 to 15 year old age group. As you recall, Pfizer is approved down to age 16. So then they did a study for the 12 to 15 age group and it was found to be 100% effective in preventing infection in that group. And Moderna is currently conducting a study starting as young as six months. So everyone's eager to see those results because ideally, um, you know, I don't know what percentage of our population nation and in Iowa as a whole is under 18, but it's a significant chunk. And obviously none of the uh, people under 18 are really getting vaccinated at this point. So uh, we, we need to get those people vaccinated as well. So if we get studies like this showing that it's safe and effective, ideally it would be great if we get emergency use authorization for all the vaccines to be given to children before fall school starts. Uh, uh, that, that would be the next phase of the vaccination campaign. Now that it's being opened up to pretty much anyone that wants it, uh, that is, uh, in case of uh, Pfizer, 16 and above, and Moderna and J&J, &J, 18 and above. If the FDA uh, gets enough data and is able to authorize 
for uh, uh, below 18 or below 16 in the case of Pfizer, that would be a great boon. And uh, that'll help bring, you know, bring the pandemic uh, to an end quicker because obviously, although children don't get as sick as adults, they can still get sick. We see really, sometimes really sick children, unfortunately, with this. So, uh, and, and then of course they can transmit to adults. So uh, we need to get all the kids vaccinated as well. I was asked to bring this question to you about temperature taking. And I'm, I know this is still a CDC recommendation, correct? That's correct. And, and it's also a state recommendation. It's a mandate actually. All, uh, especially healthcare entities need to keep a log of their employees' uh, temperatures uh, as they enter the workspace. And very few people uh, have actually uh, been turned away from the workspace because of a temperature. Uh, although fever is a very prominent feature of uh, a SARS-CoV-2 infection, it's not necessarily the earliest feature. So, you know, by the time somebody gets a fever, they're feeling sick enough that they're not even going to probably present at the door. So one could argue, you know, why are we taking temperatures? Well, it's just a matter that, you know, the policy hasn't caught up to reality, I think. So until uh, the CDC officially comes out or the state officially comes out and says, you know, healthcare entities uh, no longer need to screen people at the door with temperature, uh, we need to keep doing it. Does that cover your question? <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> it wasn't the answer I was looking for, but it covers my question. You know what? We, we first had Dr. Vimuri on um, right in the middle of March um, a year ago when, when this first became a thing. I think the very first time we interviewed you was when they were they, they officially shut down March Madness and it was becoming how it was certainly become apparent how real this mm-hmm. was. Maybe it would be a good um, place to wrap up just by looking at the last year um, from then to now, how far have we come and looking ahead? Yeah, it's been only a year, but to me, it feels like a decade has passed because uh, so many things have happened in such a compressed uh, time interval. I I think uh, recently I wrote something for the Polk County Medical Society uh, asking me to reflect on the year. I think what I said in that was that, you know, we won't fully appreciate uh, where we've been and what we've gone through until about five or 10 years have passed and some very talented writers look back and write the history of this time. Because as you're living through it, uh, it's hard to appreciate the full scope of it because we were all so busy dealing with our local issues. But definitely, uh, you know, the, the first major pandemic in modern times that pretty much shut down the whole world. I mean, one of the amazing things that I recall uh, amongst many amazing things is apparently with so much economic activity shut down throughout the world, the quality of our air improved tremendously. So for example, in India, there's so much air pollution. If you're in certain parts of India, you know, you can't even see the Himalayas. So when India was shut down for like two months, there was hardly any vehicles on the road, no pollution, people could once again, for the first time in their lifetimes, 
see the snow-capped peaks of the Himalayas, which was an amazing thing. So stories like that abound where, uh, you know, things that we hadn't noticed before, we were noticing. And then uh, because uh, people were kind of uh, locked down and quarantined, uh, wildlife started coming out and occupying spaces that they would otherwise wouldn't occupy. So things like that. So yeah, we, we've been through a lot. Uh, we've had a lot of tragedy. Uh, hopefully uh, we're behind most of that tragedy, but unfortunately, uh, if we let down our guard, uh, uh, we might still have more tragedy to face here. You know, over 5,000, last time I looked, I think we were over 5,200 deaths here in Iowa. Let me just take a quick look here. The Iowa deaths, 5,743 as of this morning. So, you know, one year ago, if you would have asked me, you know, how many people do you think will die uh, in this pandemic? We were looking at projections for like August, uh, like in March last year, we were looking to August and saying, oh my goodness, they say that in Iowa, we might lose about 900 people by August. Hmm. Well, you know, we obviously lost a lot more uh, and, uh, uh, that just goes to show you how uh, terrible this virus has been. I have a real quick question before we let you go. You mentioned about some of the, the effects of uh, that we saw with the snow-capped Himalayas that we could see in the wildlife. I, you know, one of the common things that you hear from from people, you said the naysayers earlier, Miriam, is is oh, this is just like the flu or something like that. But I have at least heard, and maybe you can confirm here. Um, we were all wearing masks. We were all socially distancing. What did that do as far as statistics regarding influenza? We, we, you know, you, you, I'm glad you brought that up because we basically did not have any influenza this year. And, and people are saying, wow, maybe we should do this every year during the so-called flu season. Uh, and we won't have uh, so many deaths. Um, people forget that uh, because influenza is endemic. We have about 70,000 people a year die of influenza. It just doesn't happen as dramatically as, as the coronavirus uh, so that, you know, people don't, uh, you know, see it that way. But those of us that are in healthcare are, are always seeing tragic cases of influenza killing people. Um, so you're right. Uh, we, we uh, for example, uh, during the entire flu season here, I can't think of a single inpatient that I saw that was admitted because of influenza. Uh, likewise, when I talk to my pediatric colleagues, RSV, uh, respiratory syncytial virus, which is a terrible virus that young children get, um, that was uh, hardly non-existent this year because uh, we were socially distanced, we were masking, we weren't doing large indoor gatherings. Um, but people feel that, uh, you know, once we are back to our usual behavior, after all, we're human, we, we need to interact uh, in the winter months, we need to be indoors. Uh, you know, so the, these diseases will come bouncing back. But you're absolutely right. Simple public health measures like wearing a mask and uh, avoiding large gatherings and keeping socially distanced and washing your hands a lot does prevent a lot of these respiratory uh, virus illnesses. I think that we have been um, 
updated very well with everything that's been going on. And um, thank you for your time today. Thank you for inviting me. You guys have a great day. I want to say thanks again to Dr. Ravi Vamuri, infectious disease expert here at Mercy One. And, and uh, I think this is the fourth time that he has come on the podcast. And every time we have him on, it's some of our most popular episodes that we put out there. There's a lot of information that people want to know, especially as we all navigate through this pandemic, Miriam. Well, and he's the one that, that tracks it on a daily basis. So he is definitely the expert on this subject. All right, guys. Well, if you're listening to this and you haven't had your opportunity for a vaccine yet, the chances are is you will have your vaccine soon. Um, most people should be eligible by now, but just be patient as uh, the supplies are limited. Appointments may vary. So, um, But when it is your turn, get your shot. Please get your shot. And live your best life. <laughs>